This episode is sponsored by Auxilio Partners, providing the business management and technology expertise your church needs. Find out more at auxilio.partners slash five points. Welcome to the Five Points Church Planning Podcast. We are so glad that you take the time to download and listen. We are thankful for everyone who follows us and the comments, the feedback that you provide. We are very grateful. Josh, our episode today is titled Smoke Machines and Skinny Jeans. <laughs> what does it mean as a church planter to begin your worship service and what do you do about liturgy? Um, but I wanted to, before we jump in, share this with you. Um, friends with a, a gentleman that is a assistant principal at a high school in a large town in the deep south. And he also helps lead worship in a small PCA church and a mega church in, in the deep, deep south. I'm going to try not to give too many details away here, was planting a church. Really, to me, it's more like a franchise than a church plant, because uh, I think they begin with 12,000 people or something like that. And seriously, I think they began with 300 people. And so the lead planter or franchise owner, for lack of a better way of saying it, called him at school one day, and they had talked... Um, a few times regarding you know, security issues and rental costs and so forth. And so just being funny, he answered the phone and he said, hey, let me guess. You want to know where we keep the smoke machine in our theater storage department? And, you know, just just kidding around, just trying to be funny. And the guy responded, well, how, how did you know that? And he was dead serious. Like he was calling <laughs> because he was looking for the smoke oh, wow. machine, which the theater department for the school did not actually own one. And so he immediately turned seriously serious and told him that he would have to rent one if that's what he wanted to do. And, you know, he told that story to me and I laughed because comments and references from established pastors just trying to be funny give us a hard time that our world is just a little bit different than their world yeah i, I personally just take offense to the third category used there with hair gel because i do use a little product but um <laughs> but I, I don't i don't actually go the skinny jean route so the rest of it seems to resonate with me thank you right could you fit in skinny jeans <laughs> no that's my primary reason for not wearing skinny jeans is because nobody wants to see it uh, <laughs> <laughs> so well. I mean, it's it's the links that some church plants in, and I will say more outside of our camp. And I'm look, I'm open for correction. I might be wrong, but some of the links that church plants will go to again outside of our camp are often very surprising to me. Um, I recently heard about a, a church plant doing an Easter egg drop from a helicopter uh, in a, in a park to to attract people. Uh, to their to their service and Josh, I got to tell you, as, as a longtime planner, my initial thought was not biblically should you do that. It was how in the world do you afford 
a helicopter <laughs> dropping Easter eggs. My mind was blown. I just thought about the cost of such a such a thing. Yeah, that's just crazy talk. When I when we started the church here, we we bought a building. Well, after we've been going for a little while, we had the opportunity to purchase a building and we moved into it. And the the thing that we had to do was actually lighten up the sanctuary. They had blackout curtains on every window that they could black out and they had they had done so much to make the room dark because they wanted to use lights. We had to pull down like stuff from the rafters, like light show type stuff. And they were they donated to us uh, a piece of machinery that they said, look, we're going to leave this bless y'all with this. Y'all can keep it and use it however you want to. And apparently it was a pretty expensive, high end light showy thing that did that shoots all kinds of images and light shows on the wall and everything else. They were they blessed us with that when they left as well. And we put it on eBay to see if we could get money for it. But um, mm-hmm. we, we, it took us a while just to get, cause it was ironic. I felt, I, and it felt a little bit ironic to me that I was actually trying to let light in uh, for the worship service that we mm-hmm. were going to be conducting um, as opposed to blacking it out um, in that regard. But yes, there is a, there is some, some distinctiveness. And how do you think through that distinctiveness, um, uh, because we have a obviously a, a much broader audience here than just you know maybe our PCA background. How we think through that's uh, important, and so that's what our that's our desire to wrestle through that a little bit today. And uh, so I, I guess in order to transition to where we need to to go today, if you uh, if you came today wanting a, a theological defense for particular styles of worships, types of worship. You, If you want to define the regulative principle, for instance, uh, this is probably not the podcast for you. Um, there's a lot of people who do a lot of um, discussions uh, about worship and, and it's kind of theo- and all of its theological kind of uh, pinnings. But our intention today is really just to think through the, the brass tacks of uh, when you get on the ground, you're moving into a borrowed space and a new church plant in the region. How do you walk through the challenges of creating a worship service uh, in that context, developing and cultivating a liturgy that that you can that you can get your head around and and and, and find the resources to exercise or execute that uh, that service uh, in your local context? Those are the questions we want to kind of wrestle through a little bit today. If it would help you out a little bit, yeah, Josh, that's. That's a good word. A lot of ink has been spilt on worship, and particularly in our camp, the Reformed tradition. Many great books have been written regarding liturgy and style and the theology. And I think that, you know, I guess to pat our theological tradition on the back, I think we do a really good job of thinking about what is worship very in a very thorough and deep manner that I really appreciate and has been helpful to me over the years. But like you said, um, there's also a big practical component to this. And without further ado, Josh, I guess the question I would have for you to begin is when you moved to Lafayette to plant, um, how did you go about thinking through your liturgy in light of the fact that you're a Reformed Presbyterian church plant? What guided you in your thought process? Yeah, that's a great question, uh, Hunter. When I when I moved to Lafayette, we had I'd been a part of several church plants in the past, and, and frankly, 
Um, the few that I have served in through the years, all of them had different approaches to their worship service. There was a lot of voices speaking in to even my Presbyterian understanding of, of worship services. I also, I'm also a charismatic converted Baptist converted Presbyterian. So I've, I've mostly been confused in this area since the day I started <laughs> into the faith. And so there's a lot of other uh, voices speaking into this topic of how do you, how do you begin formulating liturgy? And I, I think there's been a lot written recently on, on even how you, and this may be how I would say it. And then I'd let you kind of press in a little bit more on the very, very practical aspects of, of liturgy, uh, Hunter. But I will say, if we're pulling back a little bit on the topic of liturgy, it's really just accepting the fact that liturgy is inevitable in what we do in worship, that we all have a liturgy, whether you're, you know, come from a non-denominational background, a charismatic background, a Baptist background, a non-denominational, you know, independent kind of uh, church scenario, Bible church scenario, or a Presbyterian or any host of others. But uh, that would probably be a large swath of our uh, audience you have there's a liturgy that you bring to to life and in fact you know James K Smith and others have talked about just a liturgy of life in in general that we tend to go through rhythms and, and routines that we settle into and the question i think we have to start with when we want to start thinking through liturgy is you know what what are those natural rhythms that we consider part of of worship uh, in our past, our background experiences and why do we do the things that we do and that was super helpful for me when I got here, there was so many other voices speaking into the culture here in Lafayette because of its extreme kind of um, distinctions between a very charismatic on one end and very Catholic on the other. It was a mountain of voices speaking into it. And so I had to figure out how to really strip down the liturgy into something pretty simple mm -hmm. uh, and had to ask some questions of what is the most important things that I think need to be communicated in the service and how to do those in a way that wouldn't be roadblocks for our people. And so we have a pretty simple liturgy aspects of things that I would prefer to do in our, um, in our liturgy that uh, we don't do because of contextually, they, they just don't, they don't work, but, and they, they create more barrier than they do open doors for it. So we have a, a call to worship and uh, a song of adoration, a, a time of kind of, confession of sin, which is more just kind of bringing awareness to the, or bringing to light the nature of sin in our lives, a, a gospel promise that reminds us that we have redemption in Christ, uh, some songs of, of of praise and worship regarding our salvation. Uh, there's a message, and then there's a song of response before we go out. And we, we took out a lot of other little elements in between that might be typical for Presbyterian circles, but we did hold on to that kind of core I guess outliner structure that you might see in a in a historic Presbyterian church, just not a lot of the kind of individual elements in the service. So, I don't know, Hunter. That's kind of launching our discussion. What are your What are your thoughts on on that, Josh? I think it's important to stop for just a second and and say this. And I I know this is true because you and I have worked together. We've planned worship together. We've led a church together. That we both wholeheartedly believe in the regulative principle, which is a significant thing for those who are reformed. I'm not going to do a deep dive on <clears throat> the definition. I like what Ligon Duncan says, which is in the reformed world, we preach the Bible, we read the Bible, we pray the Bible, we sing the Bible, 
Right. And I, I think that's a, a really good working definition that you and I agree on and, and might help those who are listening today that are perhaps outside of the Reformed and Presbyterian world. I would encourage you, if you're not familiar with the regulative principle, to to read a little bit about it. I think that will help you better understand some of the comments that we make today. So, Josh, before my first church plant, I was called by a larger church to go out, of course, and plant, but they gave me some time to raise support and, and so forth. And one of the things that the senior pastor encouraged me to do was to visit as many churches as possible in the community where we were going to start this church. And I, I really, at the time, didn't fully understand why that recommendation was made. But I cannot tell you how helpful it was for me to better understand what does it mean to be Presbyterian and what does it mean to be Reformed in terms of liturgy and worship and what is taking place in our community and, and how those factors guide what we are wanting and hoping to do. And of course, you would also add into that context, into that mathematical equation, if you will, the theology of being Calvinist, of being Reformed. And all of that informed me as I thought about what we are going to do as a church. And the, the second time around, before planting here in the Memphis area, I led a church planting network and I traveled all over a five-state region, four presbyteries, uh, and also visited some churches around the country, but they were all PCA. They were all Reformed, all Presbyterian. And I learned so much from visiting those churches and seeing how they did worship. I often found myself returning home and doing a deep dive biblically and theologically into what I, I saw and what I experienced. And at, at no point did, did anything bother me or upset me or I considered heretical. Uh, it all, to me, fell within the bounds of the, you know, the regulative principle. But I, I really appreciated the opportunity to see what other people did and to have a deeper understanding of why. And I think that, along with my experience from the first church plant, has really helped me think through uh, music and liturgy. And so I would encourage all church planters out there, two things. Number one, try to visit as many non-Reformed churches as you possibly can and and observe their worship and try to, as best as possible, understand why do they do what they do. Secondly, I would also say begin to think about what your liturgy is going to look like and even perhaps what your music will be like and sound like long before you gather the core group, long before you have your worship, your first worship service. Those are things that you need to dwell on you know, it, before you get to the point where you don't want to find yourself scrambling, you don't want to find yourself um, having to think through these things on the fly. So I would, I would encourage. Uh, so I guess it's really three things. I would encourage three things: one, visit as many non-reformed churches and try to understand what they do. Number two, visit as many reformed and PCA churches as you can and understand what they do, and then. 
go ahead and tentatively plan out what you hope to accomplish in terms of liturgy and music well before uh, you gather your core group. Yeah, I think that's a uh, excellent, you know, word. I think from a practical standpoint, you know, if you you travel around and you see enough, uh, I've been I've been you know through I've been through every type of Presbyterian church you can you can <laughs> from a heavy heavy traditional kind of services to more contemporary uh, services that sometimes don't even look like anything like the the traditional services I'm more accustomed to in Presbyterian uh, circles. Uh, I've been to large. Uh, mainline kind of churches in our denomination. I've been able to travel through a lot of Acts 29 churches and uh, a couple of uh, even Sovereign Grace churches, things of that nature. So kind of looking at the large swath in the kind of reformed world of um, worship services and styles, and then and then traveling through when I got to Lafayette through a lot of the local churches and seeing what they're accustomed to growing up in the charismatic church and, a, and all of its varied expressions those things have had a lot to say. And, 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 and I think what we'll say is that there's a lot of variety uh, that fits within the guardrails of what we might want to say, you know, is what we would consider to be the regulative principle of worship. There's some room to butt up against those and being able to see other things and understand those helps you kind of cultivate your own core convictions in that. Uh, you, you, my assumption is that folks who are going to church plants and thinking through worship are, are doing the reading that you were talking about they're committed to the dynamics of what you said, Hunter, earlier with Ligon, you know, preaching the word, praying the word, reading the word, um, you know, a word centered service. Um, so, yeah, exactly what you said. Just really take the time, because here's the big thing. If you don't have a lot of musical ability, which a lot of guys going in don't have a lot of musical ability, you need to be able to hold. You're going to have to hold the line of why we do what we do for that musician uh, in order to keep the, you know, keep y'all moving in the right direction, you're going to have to hold that kind of, you know, vision line for the musician and for the church uh, in a way that is thoughtful and is something that, that that musician can get behind and keep kind of bouncing off of as he's working, he or she is working through uh, their particular um, musical proclivities. Mm -hmm. So Josh, that leads to our second question. Music in terms of worship and liturgy is a huge component and it, I would make the argument that in our culture today, more outside of the reform camp, that some would, some would might believe that it's the most important component in mm -hmm. worship. Yeah. And I am someone who is musically not talented. Uh, you know this. Uh, I could preach in front of 10,000 people. Mm -hmm. I never have, but I could, I think. But if you asked me to sing in front of five people, I would melt like the witch in the Wizard of Oz. It mm -hmm. would be the most terrifying thing in the world for me. I, I'm just not, I have no musical ability whatsoever. And that was a big fear of mine when I set out to plant my first church. How do you find musicians? What do you do about music when you don't know anything about music? And what should the music in the worship service sound like? And for me in particular, I had an idea, but I had no idea how to express that because I don't know musical categories. I don't know the lingo. Uh, and so, Josh, you walked with me through this journey. You yeah. were a, a key component in the first church plant in terms of 
music for me. You helped me greatly. But uh, what are your thoughts on on this buckshot uh, ex- uh, wording that I've just given you regarding uh, music? <laughs> that's yeah, that's a great question, Hunter. It, it's uh, it's a typical question. I think it's one of the more important ones that we come into our church plant with. It's probably one that many folks bring the most angst in with because we have a desire. We uh, we see the importance of music in that, but we feel pretty helpless in the cause of finding the right musician. So I, I do think there is one central thing that is most important above all other things when it comes to beginning that process of looking for a musician. And it, I, it is it is so straightforward and simple. You better start praying the day you hear the word church planner, much less think about where you're going, where you're going to be called, um, those things. I remember a good dear friend of mine in college when we were kind of pursuing ministry, he had started praying uh, his second year in college, just started praying for the elders and deacons of the future church he would lead. And I remember that was a call to me to, to do the same because you never it's never too soon to start that and because there's such an important dynamic or role to the future of the ministry. The, the day you decide, hey, I think I might be called a church planting, even if you don't know if church planting is your call, start praying for your music guy <laughs> that yeah, day. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I would pray the for the music thing. guy before I would pray for donors. Let's let's be honest. <laughs> That's right. I, I could I could find the money. I don't know that I could find the musician. Uh, <laughs> I don't right. know that I would I would know it if I saw it. Um so, yeah, I think it's super important that you, I, I, there's very little advice I could give you beyond that. More important than that, I, there's a few things that I would say from there. But, um, yeah, I, I will tell you when I start thinking, and Hunter, maybe you could remind me, I was just thinking about music, folks who've led worship for us at our previous church that we uh, that you planted, I was a part of. And then where I am here, I, I will tell you, I there's no intentional process for finding any of the musicians that we have found. Um, I feel like the Lord has always raised that up um, when I have spent less time in anxiety over it and more time in prayer. The Lord always seems to raise somebody up with that, with that musical capacity or ability. And my main job is really to help kind of shape, as it were, that individual's understanding of what worship is and, and what it is that we are doing from a musical standpoint in context to the liturgy as a whole. Yeah, so... A couple of things, you know, in in both opportunities that I've had to plant, you know, the Lord has brought people into the church plant that were gifted in terms of music, and and that's been a real blessing. And as I've talked to church planters, you know, in the mid south, in the deep south, and around the country, that seems to be the the pattern, you know, prayer. And the Lord bringing and providing someone who can assist with worship and very grateful for that. Uh, So, but Josh, I guess a follow-up question to that before I touch on a few other things, you are someone who has musical ability. Mm -hmm. So how did that guide and shape you as you were doing your plant? Was it, I'm still going to pray that God would bring somebody to help with this, or I'm going to handle it myself until that person arrives? No, I, I, you know, I think if you're musically inclined, I do have a dear friend out in uh, 
out in California who is, um, he's a musician, composer, and church planner, and he and his wife, um, they really come in, they manage music, they manage the whole dynamic, and that's really, so if you've got real extreme ability, you know, by all means, uh, you know, jump in and, and do it if that's a conviction or an aspect of gifting. I think most guys have proclivities in pastoral ministry that that have proclivities towards music don't have the the ability to fully shoulder the the responsibility of managing that team and managing and running the the whole of the um the church itself i think the individual that a good friend of mine out in california who does that the entire ministry is built around the arts and in an arts community and that's the focus of what he's doing so yeah in my case I did is even having an understanding of what I was looking for, having some, some direct kind of ideas about what I wanted, though. I, I knew I would know it when I, when I saw it kind of dynamic of what I, you know, what I was looking for. Um, there was still a sense in which, I, where do you go to find that? How do you, how do you locate that in a community? It's still tricky. We're a university town. You could look in the, music departments there and ask around uh we i did communicate with some local churches regarding musicians and things of that nature but again those are those are still very challenging roads to go down at the end of the day we 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 prayed and asked the lord to provide uh, and the lord did and 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 i knew what i, I knew what i saw it when i heard it actually right. but uh it was still a matter of really just trusting the lord so i the big thing is let go of the angst rest in the lord on this one he will provide Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a matter of deep prayer because when you start putting the feelers out into the community, you very well could wind up with someone that who just simply wants to volunteer that has a completely different background and vision for for music and worship than you do, and you could very quickly have a mess on your hands. And so you're really leaning into the Lord and asking the Holy Spirit to work, to bring someone to you that can help lead worship, can help with the music, that has the same biblical understanding that you do, that complements you and your ministry in the church plant. And that may be, as I'm thinking about it and I'm saying this, that may be the biggest first obstacle you face as a church plant, really. Yeah. yeah. And um, I'm again, so thankful that God has provided, you know, all along the way for the two church plants that I've been a part of, because particularly for me, for someone who's not musically gifted, it's, it can be a, and I truly mean this, it can be a fearful thing. In terms of music, what is your music going to be like in worship? That was also something that I had to wrestle with is someone, as I just said, it is not a gift, but like you mentioned earlier, um, Josh, when when I listened to different types of worship in different types of music and worship, I, I know what I like, but you know, I had to wrestle with is what I like, what is best, mm -hmm. and in planting two churches, I you know. I thought through, and I would encourage all church planners to think about this before you go to plant. Contemporary or traditional or a blend, those are very generic terms. 
you need to think a bit more specifically. You need to have in mind what you think is going to be best for your church plant, uh, what is, you know, of course, within the bounds of the reform tradition and the regulative principle. But I really map that out beforehand so that, you know, when someone did come along who could help with worship, who could help with music, that, you know, he had an idea, you know, Josh, you had an idea. We talked about this plenty mm-hmm. of where we wanted to go and what we wanted to accomplish with music. And and more often than not, I did not have the terms to fully express what I was trying to communicate. And, yeah. and, and you know, you helped me flesh all of that out. But you not only do you need to understand ahead of time what kind of worship service you want, you also need to understand ahead of time as best as possible, what is the music in worship going to be like? Yeah, I think those are important. Uh, funny story uh, Hunter will appreciate um, that kind of helps flesh this out. Like, you know it when you hear it, but sometimes you can get in your own way and trying to figure out how does that work in the context of where you are. And as a pastor, there needs to be this give and take relationship between the for, you know, the form and substance of what we're doing and the and the expression of it musically and, and learning to work with somebody who really that you can really communicate form and, and substance to and then give them some room musically. We were at Madison Heights and we were still tweaking some of what we wanted to do. And Hunter was pretty big on not having certain contemporary elements of the service, but wanting a certain sound and a certain feel he had in his brain. And so I, I felt like I knew what it was, Hunter. Uh, if you remember correctly, <laughs> I felt like I knew what it was, but I had some room to work with on it. So I was trying to push some boundaries and do some things. And so we had decided we wanted some some element of bass in the sound a little bit more undergirding for some of the weightier songs and so we were going to be moving to a cajon drum just a small box drum because we didn't want to overpower with a heavy percussion sound but a cajon drum would be sufficient well I forgot my drum the first week we were going to do it and so our musician (laughs) at the time said you know I can create that sound uh in my own right myself if you want to I and so he went to the car and got a water bottle one of those big water jug type things you put on the hospital water cooler and had me play it you know deep bass in the middle could hit a little bit of high sound on the outside it it, honestly I played it before the service it sounded pretty good I was like I'll play it so (laughs) I, I got on that water bottle bottle and went to play and and uh, and it sounded good. It worked, but it freaked you out because it looked so weird from the back to you. It, it <laughs> crawled all over you. And you were like, you sent somebody to me uh, in between the the songs and the and the ending song that we did and said, if he's playing that water bottle for the closing song, please tell him not to. So I had to put the water bottle away. It was the last week we played the water bottle. I showed up with a cajon and I don't even think you knew I was playing the thing I was sitting on. So I think I got by with a couple of weeks to convince you that it wasn't as bad as it looked the the second literally right after that we had a a bass player we added bass to it to add a little bit more um body to the music and you like you couldn't handle it right it was just something about that bass guitar up front the electric look it looks like we were moving to some kind of weird electric uh sound so i don't think you know this you may not know this to this day but the guy who was playing the bass just went out and bought a brand new bass guitar that looked like an acoustic guitar 
yeah. that he actually played often on Sunday mornings. Um, yeah. He bought a, a, a an acoustic looking bass guitar and we played bass every week after that. <laughs> uh, you didn't know it. Uh, we just fooled you. And so um, there is a sense in which, uh, <laughs> you know, as you think through form and substance, there's a, there's, there's a, there is something we're looking for and there's some freedom you give your musician to explore and, and you do, there's going to be some, push-pull relationship I think Hunter's benefit was he had me to run some interference through and I did uh, veto a lot of things that I knew weren't going to work I always knew what Hunter wanted and so I was really guarding what Hunter wanted while trying to push you know our you know uh, open the music up to our musicians some and I've been doing that here the musician I got is very flexible to hold what he feels like I'm doing but he also in turn understands the flexibility I give him to explore beauty and creativeness in music staying in context of what's there. I think that's the push-pull relationship that's got to happen in the process. Right. And there are different expressions in terms of music in worship in the reform world. But, you know, in particular, we were trying to, trying to, you know, our guardrails, I guess, would be we're going to be not too contemporary and we're not going to be too traditional. We're going to find ourselves somewhere in the middle. And that also... I mean, it has a certain sound, but it also has a certain look. Mm -hmm. And and there's a lot of maneuvering and fine-tuning that goes into accomplishing that, if you will. And and look, in your defense, that a lot as much as a joke as that was, in that culture, it did make a difference. That electric looking sound up front was had been popularized all around us. And and the little shift of just making the instruments look different up front allowed the sound to be what it was but didn't take away from the visual kind of right. component of what we were doing as well and so those are those are things you juggle you have to sure. share out in the context of where you are for sure yeah and that and that leads right into our next question um how do you maintain a reform distinctive in the community and culture that surrounds you those are things that you and I often talked about a good deal. And and that requires a, an understanding of the landscape in which you yeah. find yourself. You have to know what other churches do and what is what is the norm in terms of the church culture in which you find yourself. And uh you know, where I am now in this second church plant is in many ways similar to where we were, Josh, but in many ways it's also different and I did not have time here because of COVID to go and visit a significant number of churches ahead of time to kind of gain that understanding. So I've come to that understanding in retrospect. Yeah, prime example of that uh, here in Lafayette, when I got here, there were some things that I really wanted to do. I, what I thought coming in was that we were the perfect medium between the Catholic Church on one end and the charismatic on the other end. And so we would we would pull some of our worship would pull a little bit from both the the strong liturgical form, you know, with some, you know, uh, a more, um, I guess, contemporary ish musical sound that the kind of blending these two worlds together, we'd be the perfect happy middle for so many divided homes in this community with, you know, mixed marriage kind of things between Catholics and charismatic or non-denominational things of that nature. What we found was we were actually no man's land. Um, mm -hmm. When I was early on, I was doing responsive readings in our service during the times of confession or even the call to worship. 
And it was absolutely freaking people out. Um, I, the more feedback I was getting, it was like, this is a deal breaker. I, I don't know that I can come back. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I've never seen such a strong response to it. When we started doing, you know, some of the traditional kind of, uh, you know, Nicene Creed or Apostles Creeds or things like that, it it brought back some memories or ideas of what we were and what kind of church we were. And I I really had to greatly simplify our worship service into some just basic components of call to worship, music, confession, assurance, um, those kinds of things, and, and just go straight forward with scripture and be pretty direct. And I, I spent more of my time explaining the liturgy that we were doing than trying to force the components of, of liturgy that I preferred. Like I love responsive readings. I think the interactive nature of that with the congregation is rich, but it's hard. You know, we've just now seven years in got to where we actually read the confession uh, together in our service um, because we've been able to help our people understand who we are and what we do. And they in turn can sell it to people who come in and don't understand those things. And so we have, uh, we have increased our liturgy over time, but we really had to think through contextually, where are we and what are the churches around us doing and how does that really play out? Uh, so that's, that's been some of the learning curve we've had to figure out based on where the Lord's put us in such a heavily kind of Catholic charismatic traditional culture here in, in Lafayette. Right. So in thinking in terms of liturgy and worship, whether the first church plant or the second church plant, I've thought about the culture in which we're situated. I've thought about the theology of our tradition and I've thought about <clears throat> You know, I've leaned into the other PCA churches that I've visited uh, across the country. All those have been valuable resources for me in terms of thinking through what we hope to accomplish. You know, as I've already mentioned regarding music, uh, kind of the middle road between traditional and contemporary. And when I say contemporary, I guess the caveat would be, and this will be hard to explain to some of our listeners, but I'm thinking in terms of contemporary within the confines of the Reformed tradition, not so much what you might hear on Caleb, for example. <laughs> and yeah. and I, I don't know even know if that's a good explanation, but trying to find a middle road in, in terms of music, in terms of worship, you know, I've really thought long and hard about the importance of explaining why you do what you do in worship. Using language that is approachable. Um, I remember my wife, who grew up in a Baptist church, coming to visit my church in college, and she had never heard many of the theological terms that we used in worship. And so yeah. for me, it begged the question well, why do we use those words? Why do we not use words or definitions that are a bit more simple? bit more simple. Um, I, I understand that worship should have an awe aspect to it, that it should have a mysterious aspect to it. But at the same time, thinking about people outside of our theological tradition, unchurched and dechurched, I want to explain why we are doing what we are doing with approachable terms that, that make sense. I want the mm -hmm. service to be interactive. I don't want it to be a show. Um, and by show, I don't mean showy. By show, I mean that you don't just simply walk in, sit down, and you are 
passive the entire service. So those are some principles that have been important to me. Uh, and that is, you know, partly based on what I've experienced in our community and culture. And so, you know, recently, Josh, we've gotten some feedback on a couple of different levels because sometimes you just wonder, is what we're doing making a difference? Mm -hmm. And we had a gentleman visit and said, and again, he was just looking for a new church. He had he was not unchurched. He was not dechurched. But in terms of our community, and I think this is a fair description, he said, I can't tell you the last time I confessed my sins in, in the context of worship. We had another young lady that spoke to me after coming to our worship service, and she said, I don't think I've ever been silent before in a worship service. We had a moment of silence for reflection before we came to the Lord's table. She said that was completely new to me. Uh, yeah. Just um, she was really, she liked it. She thought it was very heartfelt and um, and it was helpful for me to, to hear what she had to say. Josh, when we were both planting our, our first church regularly, regularly, especially from people who were dechurched, I would hear you use the Bible a lot. Yeah. Uh, they were, they were just really taken aback by how much we used mm -hmm. scripture through, throughout the service. And, you know, I think I know our culture pretty well. And I know that times of silent reflection, I know that in-depth expository preaching, walking through the, the text chapter by chapter, verse by verse, uh, confessions of sin, assurance apart, that that's not common, at least within Protestantism, in in the culture in which we're planning this church. I, I think that's huge. I, you know, part of me saying there's certain roadblocks that, that, that would have been the end of the church plant for me, and there's also roadblocks we need to set and principles, like you're saying, that need to... That, that define who we are, that, that give people language that they need, and we have to help them get there. And so I've simplified our service in a way that's allowed me to begin beefing it up now because they're, I've got it down to the core of just understanding that this worship service is really just a, your daily devotional, right? It's, it's really just kind of um, adoration about who God is and what he is and and understanding that you're a sinner in need of his grace, but there's a promise for you in Jesus and then needing to hear from his word in our lives so that we can go out and engage the world as we're called to do it. I help them just think of the gospel frame that our service follows in a most basic sense and then build out from there. Like right. we don't apologize for confessions and silence and solitude sure. and those things, even though we want to think about the way that we express it in a way that's conducive. Yeah. Um, and I think one other thing I would say, and this is just a, uh, for me, a parting shot, pet peeve, whatever you do with your worship. And I think more musically here is what I'm speaking to. Uh, don't, don't find something you can settle with because it's distinctive and we're not going to compete with the, the big light shows and, and <laughs> games that are often played in the context of worship what you do, do it with excellence and with all your might. Uh, if I can quote Jonathan Edwards there, um, 
you know, do it with all your might, meaning find talented musicians, keep looking for gifted people who can come in and bring excellence to the table for music and the variety of music, the art that is music, because music speaks and gives um, color to the very words that we love about the songs that we sing and the message that we hear from the word of God. Music is a thing that often paints those things in beautiful rays of colors that our people need to help them understand um, the very words that they're singing. And so as much as we would look up and talk through form and structure and things like that, make sure what you're doing, you do with utmost excellence. And you're always trying to grow in that arena of music. Um, God loves music. <laughs> he loves the beauty of it. He talks often in the Psalms about the the array of instruments that he uses to conduct it. Um, we should be thinking in the same right. So Josh, you've mentioned two things that I want to bring together and touch on briefly. Um, simplicity. And you've also talked about, you know, the bells and whistles, if you will, of larger churches. Mm -hmm. as, a, as a church planner, that's very important to understand and to remember that, look, <clears throat> you're meeting in a gym. We meet in a YMCA. You can smell the chlorine from the swimming pool. There's exercise equipment everywhere. And now because pickleball is all the rage. You might find a pickleball under your chair when you come to worship with us on Sunday morning. You know, we're we're not going to have an orchestra like a high liturgical larger church. We're not going to have a massive praise band like a larger broadly evangelical church. It's okay to keep it simple. Yeah. It's okay to know who you are and strive to be the best within those parameters. Mm -hmm. So for us, I think we have found a liturgy that is a bit outside the norm in our culture, but that is squarely creedal and confessional and mm -hmm. reformed. I think it's insightful and encouraging and helpful. So we're going to try to be the best at that that we possibly can be. I'm going to walk people through the service in a very gospel-friendly fashion, in a very user-friendly way, because as a church plant, I hope that people come through our doors that are unchurched and de-churched, people who aren't believers. Or, But I'm even mindful of those who aren't a, very familiar with the Reformed tradition. This is who we are. This is why we do what we do. This is what the gospel means. This is what the Lord's Day is all about. And that can be done even in a gym, in a YMCA, pickleballs rolling around the floor. Um, you know, don't get caught up in, we've got to be like first church down the street mm -hmm. or... Um, you know, big evangelical church with the booming uh, praise band. And I don't, I don't mean to sound critical at all. I, I'm just saying that know who you are and try to do the best you can with, with what you have. And what I've discovered over the years is the people who come through the doors who are looking for a church or people who haven't been in church in some time, they're not as concerned about the music as you think they are. 
They're looking for connectivity, for people who care, for friendliness, for a place to belong, for community. That's that's probably the most significant thing as a church planner. So how does my liturgy connect with them? How does my liturgy encourage them? How does our liturgy meet them where they are? And those are all critical things, key things that I think through church planners should be thinking through. Yeah, there's always the balance between excellence, you know, beauty and and simplicity that you're always going to struggle with here. We've, you know, taking out of the worship context and just church planning in general, we're we're in desperate need of renovating our nursery and some renovations here at the church. And there's a sense in which we people love the community they get when they come through the doors, but sometimes they just look around them uh it's just too much for them it just it just the nursery desperately needs an overhaul so that the smell and the the old carpet and the just feel that we can turn on a thousand essential oil diffusers before sunny morning <laughs> can't right. cover but but yeah there, there's a sense in which there's certain things we hurdles we need to make sure we're we're trying to cover um there's a beauty that we want to present um and our community might sell itself but we also want to make sure that what they're coming into communicates something of beauty and excellence in what we do. And there is a, a constant push-pull relationship between the two of those and knowing who you are and allowing yourself to be where you are and a working, you know, being con you know, content with what the gifts the Lord is giving you and trying to do that, you know, with the greatest amount of excellence you can and beauty that you can, but also understanding I'm not here to compete with the place down the road. Um there's a there's a, a simplicity and a beauty that go go hand in hand to really be part of what's most inviting about our community um, that needs to work in hand in hand uh, for a community going forward. That's good for nursery and 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 building and look and feel of the building itself when they first impressions as much as it is the music and the worship they do. So excellence, beauty, yes, but but being you know. Um, okay with the what is distinct about you as a church and a church planner um, with the size that you are and, and what the gifts that God has given you in that is, is uh, something we should learn to be thankful for, content in, and, and, uh, and live with. Josh, I think that was a good discussion, and hopefully that is helpful to those who are listening that might be considering planting a church or in the midst of a plant. Perhaps it's a core group member or an established pastor. I mean, a pastor of an established church who just is just really thinking about and praying about worship and liturgy. Uh, we clearly do not have all the answers. We clearly are not seminary professors that um, teach classes on worship. Um, I'm, I just hope that our experience, um, is helpful and insightful and encouraging to those who might be listening. Well, again, as always, we want to thank you for listening uh, to the five points church planning podcast. Uh, we've been just delighted to, to be with you today on this important topic. I'd love to hear from you. If this has been helpful for you, we got a lot of feedback recently that has been encouraging to us and help us know that we're moving in the right direction. Uh, if this has been helpful to you, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. If we can answer any questions or help you in any way, as always, uh, we would love to do so. Until next time, uh, we will uh, see you soon. 
That's the last word for now. You can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter or Facebook at Five Points Planting or by email at reformplanting at gmail.com. See y'all next time. Five Points Church Planting is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters.